You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 177 of the Comic Book Informer podcast coming to you on July 22nd. This is Vince. How you doing this week, Raj? I'm surviving. <laughs> Seriously, I got to come up with something new. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think you need to go back through and listen to how many times that's been your response. <laughs> Seriously, though, if folks only knew, <laughs> it applies, all right? And God, it's been a hell of a week for comics, hasn't it? <laughs> what did I miss? It, well, we talked about the the whole Thor thing last week, oh, and yeah. the next day, Marvel announced the uh, the new Captain America with Sam Wilson taking over. And oh, I didn't. Hear I about got it. Yeah, uh, Captain America lost his Super Soldier Serum, so the Falcon will be taking over as new Captain America for now, at least. <laughs> and oh goodness, it's it's been a depressing week. <laughs> like. Uh, there was a point a couple days ago where I was almost like, I don't want to talk about comics anymore <laughs> just because <laughs> of the way people reacted to these two things. It's it's just sad. Like, Yeah, but you know what? That's why I, I like being insular in how I deal with comics. I read them. I enjoy them. I talk about them with someone that I know isn't a jackass most of the time, at least about this. <laughs> and, and I like that. It's when you start going on sites and reading comments and it applies to everything that it can really ruin an experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not getting into too much detail, but I had to cut off communication with somebody I have known for almost a decade. Really? Because of how upset he is at Marvel's caving to America's, anti-white male agenda if that is even remotely in your line of thinking about wow. anything let alone comic books holy crap might be time to reassess some priorities yeah no kidding so yeah it's, it's not been a very good week for open-minded comic book fans <laughs> well yeah no kidding and it's sad because there are any number of actual good discussions to be had about this, you know, as far as, you know, roles and just any number of things that I would be more than happy to discuss with people. But not that. Especially since the comics aren't even out yet. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about happy things. Yes. And happy things being Ninja Turtles, because oh. that's about as far away from any of this other mess as you can get is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm very happy that we have this refuge. So did what was the last issue you had read? Oh, dude, I don't even remember. Like I was telling you, too, I, I kind of read some out of order and I missed some. So I went back and got completely caught up. I mean, I started back from the late teens and worked my way through all of City Fall again because um, I'd missed a couple of issues there and then everything after that. So I really, it, it's been a glorious week <laughs> reading amazing comics. So yeah, I bonus. think that we, the last issue we talked about on the podcast was like 24 or 25 and it was right in the middle of City Fall. Actually, we started talking, didn't we cover 
um, when City Fall first started? Yeah, so I think we did like the first half of it. Right. I remember we got up to the point where like they busted into the warehouse and saw that Leonardo had been turned. I think that was the last thing we I had talked about. I think so, yeah. And that was just a great storyline to briefly touch on that. Like we said, City Fall was from issues 21 to 28, uh, written by Eastman, uh, Bobby Kernow, Tom Waltz, art by Matea Santaloco and Rhonda Patterson. And yeah, this is where we talk about where the foot were basically just taking over New York, getting rid of all the other gangs, bringing in to the fold the Purple Dragons, the gang that uh, Casey's friend Angel used to belong to. And the dragons themselves had been taken over by Casey's father, who now um, going by the name of Hun. And I didn't know at the time that it happened that that would turn into such a major and really good plot point. So I'm glad to see that was carrying forward. We'll cut. We'll touch back on that in a little bit. Oh, hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. You're going a little okay. fast there. I want to talk too. Well, like I say, I'm with, this is you're we're, you're, we're, you're you're stealing all my thunder. I mean, actually, just, I only have a question. I'm Do, just. Stop it! Stop trying to ask you a question. (laughs) Did you read the the Hun special? I missed a couple of the one shots. I don't think I read the Hun one. I don't remember it because that came out of nowhere for me. Because I actually I still haven't found it. I haven't read that one, so I don't know what happened to make make him go from fat alcoholic jackass to freaking ripped monstrosity. I. So, well, with it, without reading that one shot, I can't say for sure. Yeah. And we know that he was a member of the gang previously, along yeah. with Angel's father. And then he kind of retired, got out of the life. And I remember the point where he found out Casey was in the hospital and wanted to come and yeah. overheard Casey saying like he was through with his dad, didn't care about him anymore. And I guess that uh, caused some sort of change for him, wanting to get back to the old life, if you will. Yeah. And, of course, this was also the big storyline where Shredder had kidnapped and brainwashed Leonardo into becoming his own uh, apprentice. And, God, that like, like we said at the time, the, the scenes they did where you were, like, inside Leo's head and seeing all the false memories and all that, very, very well handled. And then you also had the counter to that of the visions he's having of his mother that are soothing him and trying to bring him out of that turmoil. I I can't say enough good things about this entire story arc. What I liked is as as we were reading it then, it was it was it was very well written. It was it was very cool to see what was going on there. However, what was really cool is going back and reading all of these then and seeing the um not just the, the, the there and now of, of what happened and how it affected him, but also the, the lasting effect thereafter. That was so well handled. That was phenomenal. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of other comics, they may have wrapped it up way too fast. Oh, he's all better now. We're returning back to the continuity. It, pretty much exactly like he yeah. used to be. He's not Dr. Octopus anymore. Let's go back to that. Yeah. So, no, this is this is sticking and i really i really love that Mm -hmm. one of the other big revelations we got was uh from the alapex one shot where she learned that shredder had actually like burned down her village and killed her entire family and she'd been working for him as the whole time just because 
after her mutation, she really didn't have a place to go. So she found a home with the foot. So we get Alapex turning on Shredder. And again, that caught me by surprise. But within the realm of the story, it worked out as well as the abrasiveness between Shredder and Karai. And we saw earlier on she'd gone off kind of on her own and made, you know, Bebop and Rocksteady as her mutants and not necessarily trying to take over the foot, but definitely trying to assert her authority within it. And by the end, that's I don't know if it was his plan to begin with or if it just made a very convenient plan B of Shredder finally accepting her as his successor with Leonardo gone. The only problem that I have, and it's not really a problem because you could look at it both ways, is those offshoots. Because mm-hmm. what happens is that it's it's whatever happens in those, whether it's a, a villain single issue or, or little mini story or kind of thing, um, it's it's kind of alluded to in the comics, but it's assumed you read it and you know what's going on. And if you haven't, you're missing out on actually quite a bit. And case in point with Han, I haven't read that Alapex either. So I was going off of what little was being said in the comics. So I missed out on a hell of a lot of story there. Yeah, they really need to do a better job at the very least in like the last page when they say, okay, this issue out next. And by the way, you probably should check out this one shot. It's going to be kind of important. Yeah, more than because just a they, like and I don't even know if they even reference it within the comic itself. Like you know, little editorial notes. Oh, yeah, this happened. There is Alapex. Okay. Yeah, that's what they do. Although the Alapex, yeah, they do for all of those. They put a little note, you know, happened. But of course, in or by whatever. then you've missed it. Well, it's you're not going to stop and then go hunting for the one issue that you missed, and unfortunately, you're missing a hell of a lot. Like, as it is, I've enjoyed these enough that I'm going to go and dig out all the ones that I've missed, and, and I'm sure I'll love them. But, yeah, it's, they're, they're almost mandatory to read if you really want to get the most out of the stories. As I remember early on, I had skipped all of the one-shots, and then all this stuff was happening, and I was like, what happened? Like, they were talking about these stories, like, when they, even when they first introduced Alapex, she was first introduced in the Raphael one-shot. So when she showed up later and Raphael's, like, talking to her, I was like, did I miss something here? So ever since then, I've, I've made it a point to at least try and catch as many of them as possible. But yeah, they, they are very mandatory, as well as the, the miniseries. Yes. Uh, the, what was it? The Utram War, where we're seeing, you know, the, at least the events in our dimension <laughs> from it are, are carrying through. So they're building a big universe here. And unfortunately, the, the home comic isn't quite keeping up with all of the side stuff that's necessary. Right. It's still I, great, though. Again, I haven't read all of those, so I, I already know I'm buying. Mm-hmm. So after City Fall, we take a trip to Massachusetts, Northampton, and that is actually the name of the story arc itself, Northampton, from issues 29 through 32. Same writers, same colorist, but we get Ross Campbell on art, and God, that was such a perfect switch for the tone of this series yeah. after the absolute mayhem of city fall taking this break in the story and i actually wasn't so sure about this because i was like oh man it's gonna be slow it's gonna be them hanging out in the woods but it was great for character development as we saw and ross campbell's art style as opposed to uh, santa loco's was a perfect fit for this yeah i 
of course, what's going through my head is, oh my God, this is going to be like the second season of The Walking Dead. <laughs> when are they freaking leaving the ranch? Um, the farm. But no, it was. It was really good. It's, and it it was needed, of course, because of the brainwashing and needing a place where the healing from that can be the focus and not everything else is going bad kind of thing, which there's plenty of other balls in the air, but it was important to put it there. The art was phenomenal as well. A lot lighter in style the and brighter too. The only thing that I wasn't as crazy about it is um, how the artist draws faces, human faces, does fantastic with creatures with, with human faces. It's like, yee, that's a little harsh. Yeah, but who cares about the humans? Well, when April comes out with her new haircut and they're saying, oh, you look fantastic, I'm going, not really. Yeah, the the central point of this story arc is Leonardo's recovery from his brainwashing, mind control, whatever you want to call it. And like you said, it doesn't just happen. It's over the course of these four issues where you see it's slowly him slowly starting to come around and it's not any one thing. It's the visions of his mother, his conversations with splinter with Raphael with Alapex and the slow build of him finally becoming himself again over time. It was great. Like I almost wished it had taken a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, four, four issues is enough though. When you're reading it too, you can pick up on the, the subtle things throughout. Again, because I read them all back to back. Um, when you're seeing not just Leo and how he's dealing with it, but you're seeing how each of the brothers are dealing with it in very different ways and their priorities for other bad things that are going on in the world kind of thing. And then also with how um, Sensei is dealing with it. And, and, you know, to the point of being told that he's not Leo's master anymore and this and that and, and the fatherly instincts kicking in and then him having the images flashing with, with his wife as well. All of these things, like there were so many things going on that you didn't feel like it's only Leo dealing with the after effects of the brainwashing, but it's the entire family. Yeah. And that's one thing that really has made this series what it is, is that sense of family. Because even going back to when we first touched on this in issue five, the whole big, you know, revelation of the, the reincarnated spirits and whatnot, ever since that minute, it's all been this family unit. And that's what's made particularly this interpretation of the Ninja Turtles so phenomenally above and beyond anything that has come before is that sense of family. Yeah, I I loved... Um, Alopex being brought into the fold and that a whole different side of her and how everybody was dealing with her, especially Raph and how, you know, you wanted her to stay longer and be accepted into that, that family essentially kind of thing. But then that lack of trust sends her away. And it was, it was painful because you're like, no, it was, I want to see more of her with them. And, and so I don't know. I'm 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 really curious how 
they're going to use that later on. If they are, I'm really hoping they do because it, it's a strong character with a very interesting story and her relationship with them is equally engaging because, I mean, it was built on lies before and now there, there could be some healing. We saw some. So like when he takes her the, um, the, 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 the hot dog, when they're having the campfire. Oh, the campfire scene yeah, and as like, a whole was masterful. Yeah. So yeah, there's um, there's so many different things that were that were used here that again it's, it's funny when you tell people that you're excited reading a turtles book because it's you know like telling people that you're enjoying a Pokemon game. <laughs> so they kind of look at you sideways. But they're really good games, Roger. Shut up. I you don't have to convince I me. I know. But the <laughs> These are so well written. The characters are so well written. The, the plots are so well written. Like everything, it's they're fantastic stories. Mm-hmm. And we saw during City Fall there were some interesting interactions between Alapex and Kitsune, where I'm still not sure about her allegiance to Shredder. So we may see Kitsune yeah. kind of moving off on her own. As we've even seen some uh, in the latest issue, some interesting tidbits about her, and so maybe. She'll show up later along with uh, Alapex. And, because, yeah, that, that character, they're not done with it yet. Yeah. Not by a long shot. Meanwhile, at the same time, we get... See, this is the one thing I'm a little iffy about in this story arc is the sudden info dump of April's parents. Yeah, yeah that came out of They door. both used to work for StockGen. You know, her father was like this great researcher until he suffered a stroke. And he was actually the one who was working with the ooze, but more for its healing properties than its mutative stuff. It was just an awful lot of stuff that, for me, came completely out of nowhere. Yep. It did. It did. It, it very much that, – that was the one thing that felt like a setup and laying the groundwork for a story later on. And it was uh, just right out of nowhere. So, no, I completely agree. When that came out, it was like, oh, damn it. You shouldn't have done that. There, there had to have been a better way to do to handle that. Mm-hmm. So we have this nice, peaceful story. April has introduced Casey to her parents. She's learning more about stock gen. The turtles are healing. They're becoming a family again. So, of course, assassins have to attack. <laughs> a badass falcon assassin, too. <laughs> this, this character, Koya, was cool looking. And, again, really well done with the fight scenes in the comic because... It was pretty, pretty awesome. Dude, that motorcycle taking him out. (laughs) Best panel I've seen in a long time. The only thing it was missing was Cyclops standing there. Where's my motorcycle? (laughs) Yeah, that was such a freaking amazing panel. (laughs) Unfortunately, since the foot have tracked down uh, the turtles, Raphael is still on shaky ground with Alapex and accuses her of selling them out. And it was heartbreaking seeing her reactions to that. You know, she had finally thought she'd found a home to only to be chased away again. So as I said, that character has to come back because there's way too much unfinished business. And (laughs) like, it makes you angry at Raphael for the way he acted, but we should expect him to react that way. Like it's in character, but, as someone who is really enjoying what they're doing with it, I can understand it, but I don't have to like it. Yeah. 
And it sets everything up for everybody to head back to New York. April finds out she has just enough ooze to cure her father's stroke condition so that he can come back to New York and help them take down stock gen and everything going on. The whole stock gen side of this thing is getting a little too complicated. It's taking some of the more mystical and like fate and all that, the the cool parts of the storyline and mixing in the sci-fi stuff that doesn't always work. It's Oscorp. Pretty much. Which I don't like. <laughs> it's a it's a weak plot device. In that mm-hmm. regard, I you know, I I haven't been enjoying that. It's it's taking some of the the chance out of it. Like there's there's too much that's now been by design instead of just the way it's it, it's playing out. But anyway, that leads us into the final storyline that we're touching on, which I believe is actually still in effect. We're just catching up. And that is Monsters, Misfits, and Mad Men. I love that title. Started in issue 33. We're up to issue 66. Again, same writers, and we're back to Santa Loco on Arch because, of course, we're back in the city. Issue 66? 36. That's what I said, 36. You said 66. You heard 66. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and listen, if you hear 66 when you're, oh, you'll when know. you're editing, it's clearly you might want to see a doctor about that. Okay. Started in issue 33. We're up to issue 66. <laughs> and this is a story arc that just has a lot of disparate stuff thrown together. But a lot of the stuff is really good, specifically Casey, oh, yeah. Angel, and his father. Every scene with them with Hun trying to track down Casey and finally finding him and threatening him, but only to find out, again, this is his word that we're taking. We don't know if he's actually being truthful or not. The only reason he wants Casey to join the Purple Dragons is so that Hun can keep him safe, so that he can actually be a father, because anybody not following the foot in New York is in danger. And even to the point where he offers to just give him some cash, buy him a plane ticket, and get him out of town, like... I want to believe that there's still some fatherly love in that character from those scenes we got. Yeah, but you get the other scenes where it's quite clear that there isn't. Yeah. Again, I I need to find that Hun issue and read it because whatever he's on is affecting his brain in a fairly serious way because when he's going after Casey in the cemetery there with his gang of goons and he's ready to kill him, like, that's... You've gone beyond being a father at that point. You're, you're psychotic. Mm-hmm. But especially in that first interaction where, you know, Casey refuses to defend himself even because he remembers back to all the times his father had beat on him when he was younger. And he's like, I'm never going to do that to you. It it was so powerful. Like, when I read that issue, that's when I first started telling you you needed to catch up on Ninja Turtles yeah. because I wanted to talk about that one issue because everything they're doing with that with this completely separate family, but it still has the same impact that the story we're getting from the Turtles family is giving us. Yep. Now, well, they've been laying the groundwork for this for a long time. I mean, a long, long time. The Going back only, to the first issue. <laughs> yeah. The only problem I'm having again, and it stems from not reading that one issue, is that as a parent, again, it, it goes too far. 
there's a difference between being that abusive father, which of course I'm not justifying, but there's a difference between that and then the we're murdering him in the cemetery while he's talking to his dead mother. So those two don't dive, not even remotely. So there's something serious that's affecting his brain there that we don't know about. And that when you're reading that, for me at least, it's like, well, this doesn't feel... I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to say it doesn't feel real when you're reading about <laughs> turtles, but it's true. It's like that doesn't feel genuine. So as much as I'm liking the storyline, when it goes too far, yeah, I don't like it quite as much. Mm-hmm. And we're also getting the disconnect within the turtles themselves with Splinter wanting them to go after Shredder, take down the foot with Donatello continuing to remind them that, well, we have this whole interdimensional invasion thing we need to worry about. As soon as Krang finishes his Technodrome, all of Earth is screwed, not just New York. And it's that dynamic that... See, this is the sci-fi part of the story I do like, the interdimensional aliens and whatnot, because as we've seen uh, from even going back into the secret history of the Foot Clan... It's pretty important to Shredder as well, this whole development with Krang. And it gets to the more fun parts of the storyline here with uh, his visits to his professor friend, Harold, (laughs) finding the metalhead robot, which there is some parts here where it's taking all of the goofy, ridiculous stuff I remember from the cartoon, keeping it kind of goofy with the robot but still making it cool and making it make sense within the universe because it it was a 1980s, 90s cartoon. They just threw everything out there. And if it could sell an action figure, it didn't have to make sense. It just had to exist. But they're taking these things and showing care to meld them into this universe and make it work. But it's still fun because it's a goofy-looking turtle robot. Well, the thing is, is again, we're talking about freaking turtles here. Okay, so... And, and you know, old Hob, a cat, and the snapping turtle, and all these things. And Petey Pigeon, oh, dude. the best oh, character in this God. comic. So when you're looking at that, it gives you artistic license to come up with damn near anything. The only responsibility you have is make it make sense within that universe. And that robot made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And it was also responsible with uh, getting Angel the nobody suit, which is a very obscure character, like from the original comics. Like that's something that's even really shown up all that much in other interpretations. But I like that because it gives her something to do. She's always been kind of this third wheel in the story. So I'm glad they're finally giving her a role in the the larger picture as well. I agree. But yeah, back to old Hob. Because (laughs) when Mikey and Raph pay a visit, bring Slash his pizza and they find Hob has this scientist tied up and he's interrogating her with his new mutant friend, Petey the Pigeon. I need more Petey in my life. I want a Petey one shot because this guy, <laughs> it was the perfect amount of comic relief to what was otherwise a pretty tense scene. Yeah. Well, between Pete and freaking slash with the pizzas <laughs> it, it was fantastic and see i like when you're talking about the little side stories going on and whatnot 
I've been really digging everything going on with Olhab, like really digging it a lot. And like we have this shady character who's building a mutant army. This isn't just something you toss aside and think, oh, well, not much is going to come from this. This is huge. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that story arc when it finally comes about. So anything we're seeing with that, I am so digging. Am I the only one that's a little disappointed that they healed Slash's mind? You know what, though? He'd been like that for a while, and it was good for comic relief, but I really liked it when he changed. It was that switch that was turned on where it's all of a sudden an entirely different character. I actually, I liked it. I'm not saying I don't like it. I just... No, I love stupid slash. Yeah, but we've gotten about yeah, as much I, I out of it as, all, as we yeah, can. They might have done what the, everything they can with yeah. it as well. So uh, uh, I'll accept it. I'll move on. Did you read uh, issue 36, the one that came out just yep. last week? Of course. Okay. Well, because at the end of 35, they had the the cliffhanger of this, you know, shadowy figure watching over Splinter and Leonardo. And I instantly recognized it as the Rat King. And... This is one of those things like like we talk about there's certain characters that can show up in a comic book that'll just give me a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. (laughs) Guys like Azazel. And as soon as I saw Rat King, I got that bad feeling because I remember back to the cartoon where he was just an utter goon. Like (laughs) and judging by the standards of the 1980s cartoon, anytime that character showed up, I knew it was going to be a bad episode. (laughs) So I had this bad feeling, but they brought in their interpretation of the Rat King and knocked it out of the park by establishing that the Rat King, along with Kitsune and who knows how many other beings are these ancient, powerful masters over Earth who are coming back after a time of slumber, what have you. And actually making him the fabled Pied Piper was a brilliant move. It takes, because what we've seen is so much of Japanese myth and bringing it into the story, this takes other myths and folklore and is making it real to this setting. And I really liked it. Well, I liked how they made it work in terms of this story as well, with him being able to, you know, control these guys as well long enough to be able to tell his story and whatnot calmly, rationally. Not a huge fight like we've been getting with every other villain. This is just them talking. And it was done so well that even just, again, the talking for, like, an entire issue was just as gripping. I mean, when you see all the rats piling on top of them you're like holy crap you get that claustrophobic feeling it was again really well done kind of like the stuff we were talking about last week in the endling yeah but i love how he didn't make any threats he didn't say what was going to happen he just announced his presence showed how powerful he was and then disappeared so now for the next who knows how many issues we're going to have this in the back of our mind that there's this really powerful guy out there who could, at a snap of his fingers, just end them, honestly. 
and he's part of something even bigger than what we've seen up to this point. Bigger than the foot, bigger than Krang, bigger than who knows what in either an alliance or some sort of relation with the Fox Witch that's helping out Shredder. One issue took this already large and dimension-spanning story and made it that much bigger. And I don't know how long we're going to have to wait for a payoff for this, but it's definitely something. Every time I see a rat in a corner in an alley, I'm going to remember this guy. (laughs) Well, I mean, it doesn't just take that. The final page gives us the other two big balls in the air. Well, let's not take that out of context. But (laughs) with Shredder and Krang, so it's showing you in this one issue everything that's going bad right now. So, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, it took them 36 issues to finally put Shredder and Krang together. And all they did, it was one panel. Not a word said, just showing the two of them together. And there was some fecal matter hitting some rapidly spinning blades, I have a feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Because whatever they've been building for the last three plus years now, it's coming to a head, and I'm really interested to see where we go from here. Yep. As I know we've said it plenty of times before on the podcast, but believe it or not, the Ninja Turtles comic is seriously one of the best on the shelf right now. It's, yeah. All right. Well, for other things on the shelf, we're going to jump into what we're reading. And first of all, I read the latest issue of Miss Marvel, and she is now officially a bona fide member of the Marvel Universe because she has had her Wolverine team up. I'm a few issues behind on that, so... It's an absolute requirement that you have to have Wolverine. And, you know, they're kind of skating in here because, according to Marvel, Wolverine won't be around for much longer. Yeah, okay, Marvel, I believe you. Yeah, we'll believe that one. But the team up between the two of them was really fun. You know, some interesting interactions, especially, of course, now Logan doesn't have his healing factor takes Kamala a little while to figure that out (laughs) but it's it's just a fun story but again you have these really powerful character moments of Kamala when she's out of the costume and I cannot praise enough the balance that they're striking like I said when we first talked about it's like okay the stuff with Kamala and her family life and you know her culture all that is really good but it has to balance with the superheroics and thus far it is balancing very well and I I am so pleased that this comic is out that it's really good and that it's selling well it's been very successful because this is absolutely everything we need in comics yep Thunderbolts, uh, as I mentioned, the new creative team was taking over uh, with Acker and Blacker. I don't even care what their first names are. Their last names are Acker and Blacker, and I love it. (laughs) But we have the uh, Punisher finally decides he's had enough because uh, Red Hulk is out, continuing to recruit supervillains for the team, and that doesn't fly with the Punisher. So we now have the current story arc of Punisher versus the Thunderbolts, and it's about as great as you would imagine. But on top of that... They got Gerardo Sandoval for the art, who is, if you remember, he did a few issues for the Cable and X-Force, and he was phenomenal in that. So now we have him drawing the Hulk and Ghost Rider, and I know he's not going to be sticking around for too many issues just because it takes this dude a long time to draw an issue. But as long as he's there and the story is this fun, I'm still really enjoying this comic book. 
And you'll be happy. I read the Borderlands Fall of Firestone. Oh, dude, I started it last night because I couldn't sleep. So I'm up to like three in the morning because I can't sleep. And I started it and it was right where I'd been reading for hours by that point. It was finally like, okay, I've got to stop. And I was going to read it today and I just haven't had the time. So through this first issue, it's basically just a retelling of the first Borderlands game of their them arriving in the first town taking on the bandits and even nine toes, the first boss you fight in the game. So it's an actual retelling of the, the game, but it's not missing anything for that because in the game, you just basically have claptrap talking to you. There's no interaction with a lot of the other characters. Whereas in the comic, we have Roland and Maya and Mordecai and brick all experiencing this at the same time and trading lines. So it, takes that video game experience and builds upon it with more character that wasn't there originally. And yeah, it was so fun and so pitch perfect that I almost stopped what I was doing and started playing Borderlands 2 right after I finished it. That's awesome. And it is a continuing series too, is it not? Uh, it's, I think it's only a mini. Really? Because the cover even that. says premier issue. Hmm. I think well, it's if it's the fall of Firestone, I mean, I don't know how long they can carry Firestone if they're going to continue with the storyline of the, the game. Well, yeah, but fall of Firestone is just the story in it. I th- think the actual thing is going to be called Borderlands. Mm. But, yeah, we know. need to find out. Yeah, but so far, pretty cool. Awesome. And what do you have us? Well. What do you have for us? <laughs> One more time. You want to try? <laughs> Did you read... Archie died. I didn't. I had to read it. It's. <laughs> I haven't read any of these. I mean, geez, I no, haven't read an Archie comic in forever. So I think it was nine the last time I read an Archie comic. You start off and it's like they're trying to explain what's been going on here so far with the different timelines of in one he's with Betty and with the others he's in he's with Veronica so there's two timelines going at the same time with different events of course happening for all of the central characters in each of those lines so there's like a massive thing at the very start saying in this timeline, this is happening. In this timeline, this is happening. And and it's the intricate. There's a crap load of stuff. And apparently, Life with Archie, there's not a lot of good happening. There's a lot of bad in a lot of different ways. People Never die, graduate high school. That's the, right that's the moral of the yeah, story. Really. Um, so then when you're reading it, because it's the, you know, the, the issue where he dies and whatever, they don't want to have it occur in only one timeline so that it's um, they can just roll with that. They want one story throughout where you're not sure which timeline it is. It could kind of be either one of them. And he's reminiscing about kind of his life in both of them because he's jogging along memory lane. Um, But whenever he's talking about um, his his wife, it's never Betty or Verona. It's his wife, the love of my life, the all of these instead of their names, which really gets annoying. 
<laughs> after you've been reading for a little bit there, it gets annoying as all hell. And it's all introspective stuff. Well, I shouldn't say all, but damn near all where you're reading narration from Archie, where he's reminiscing on his life and then his idea of what his life will become if he goes forward, which of course, you know, he's not going to because it's the death of freaking Archie. <sighs> And then when when the death finally happens, it's like, done. Done. One page. One page, dead. No. Like, the repercussions are apparently going to be in the next issue, which I'm sorry, I'm not picking that up. Um, but it's, it's so bloody fast that you're like, what? I, I, again, because of the confusing setup that they've used... So far with the two timelines, it meant that this issue, in my opinion, failed on so many levels. And I mean, it's an Archie. It's not like I'm going to overanalyze it, but yeah, it could have been handled better. It just got friggin' annoying. And this whole introspective crap while he's jogging just lasted way too long. It was, and it, and it did justifiably get annoying. So, okay. No big deal. Um, what? I said interesting. Okay. Uh, also annoying, the wrap-up to the Justice Lords in the Beyond series. They didn't stick the landing? Oh, man. This was just the... It, they kind of did in the issue before this last one in the story arc, where it was like, okay, this was what I know. Especially Terry being the best freaking badass imaginable sticking to what we love about that character but then this last issue was quite literally all again that the wrap-up where everything is wrapping up well damn near everything with a pretty pink bow i mean there's a a little bit of drama that's going to continue of course especially with baby zod and how he's going to be dealing with diana who's been kicked out of that universe but i mean it's it was way too neatly wrapped up in almost every conceivable way with no real consequences, which is not that cool. So, um, what else? Oh, <laughs> Red Queens. <laughs> yes, I, I didn't talk about it because I know you would have cut me off and edited it out until you could talk about it yourself. <laughs> the scene with what's her face with the candy. <laughs> She was only in the comic for two pages, and it was brilliant. It, it wasn't even two full pages. <laughs> when I... <laughs> that was the preview I was telling about that uh, Weeb had posted on Twitter. And I was like, oh my god. It was it was just that one page of her with the candy, and I went, oh my god. <laughs> well, that one page was was fantastic and she says i want you inside me and replies we're not exactly what you were thinking but then when you flip the page and she's gnawing on what's her face's head violet yes. i freaking laughed out loud and it was it was one of those spontaneous laugh that you know you don't control it just kind of blurted out and i was like oh my god this was a fantastic issue um Really, really well done and introducing some new stuff going forward, which again, sticking a lot with the idea of uh, an RPG game kind of or pen and paper. Somebody pissed off the GM if that's the case. Yeah, really, because it's going bad. Um, 
Not so sure we needed Naked Dude. But I mean, in this comic, it's not really surprising. <laughs> so, but uh, no, it was really, really good. Yeah. Loved it beginning to end. Yeah. There was one more I was going to... Oh, the squitter. I told you I was going to read the squitter. <laughs> well, I read the squitter. I'm assuming you did not read the squitter. Not at all. Don't read the squitter. <laughs> See what happens when you don't research releases? You end up reading the squitter. It's there's part of it that's cool. Okay, and dude that wrote this did the writing, the art, everything. Ben Temple Smith. Um, it's like this post-apocalyptic setting where these squid alien beings have come down and whatnot, but it's, it's many years later and uh, you're following a being that was created to fight them. And normally they would only have a shelf life of, you know, 40 years or so, but this dude, for whatever reason is still kicking around. Um, and it's from his perspective and so he's taking contracts in this post-apocalyptic setting and tr- staying alive. And that's pretty much all the, the, the you know, the, the, the info that you need on it. The problem that I have with it is that... Aside from it being called the squitter? I'm, I'm all right with that. I, I really <laughs> am. I'm all right with that. Um, and, and I've had this told to me before because I like to show my writing to a lot of people. And get opinions. I'm not afraid of criticism. And I seek it out. And I've I've shown people things. And they've told me. This might make sense to you. Because you wrote it. And it's in your head. But it doesn't make sense to us. You didn't do your job good enough. In conveying what you're trying to say. And so now when I go into stuff. I go in with that attitude. And make sure that. Even though it makes sense to you. It might not to others. And that's very very much the impression I got reading this that all of this makes sense to Ben here because he's been thinking about squid for a very long time. But to the rest of us, the intro scene, the scenes later on, everything else, it's at times a jumbled mess and it does not, it does not always make sense. And quite often it doesn't. And I'm not a fan of the the writing either and how it's handled at points. So that was, yeah, not so cool. Can't believe you read the squitter. I had, I told you I would. I <laughs> told you I would. Um, and last one, Injustice. Um, I know I've told you repeatedly that it's still friggin' awesome. It is still friggin' awesome. Sinestro had a scene in here that was like, oh, you bastard. <laughs> it, it was great. Um, but again, the, the the big thing that I've been loving is this relationship between Dinah and Harley. And this happens later, and Dinah actually has the baby. And uh, Harley shows up with a muzzle. <laughs> and Dinah's like, I'm not putting a muzzle on my baby. And she's like, yeah, well, baby scream. What if he gets your powers? And then she's <laughs> holding the muzzle in her hand and Dinah puts her hand out and says, give me the muzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole setup with, at the end where Guy Garner's got 
all of the remaining lanterns now making their way towards Earth to tackle Superman. And spoiler warning, folks, stop for the next minute if you skip forward if you don't want to hear Tina saying, like, with that many coming and everything going on here, like, is Earth, if it's a planet, going to survive? And Gardner replies, which is why we're bringing our own planet and Oa's behind them. Is it Oa or Mogo? I don't, whichever one has the stripe okay, so it's of Mogo. the band. It was freaking awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. That one massive panel. Holy crap. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that, this comic is the reason to read any DC comics is that, that, that injustice. Wow. Spectacular. That's it. All right, then. This is actually a pretty quiet week for new releases. I, I think Marvel is basically just phoning it in because Comic-Con is this week and they don't want to deal with anything. So all we're getting from Marvel that's of interest is Amazing Spider-Man number four, Deadpool number 32, Mighty Avengers number 12, and we get the launch of the new Storm series getting its number one. Thankfully, with such a small list from Marvel, that gives people a lot of opportunities to check out other stuff. Image is bringing us Saga number 21, Skull Kickers number 29, and Velvet number 6. I just had to put it in there for the fun value from Dark Horse, Gru versus Conan number 1. <laughs> you know, I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> from IDW, we have Godzilla, Rulers of Earth number 14. Finally, I'm getting Ragnarok number 1, which is Walt Simonson, the guy who destroyed all the expectations of Thor comics back in the 80s is going back to awesome Vikings and just doing a, a more traditional mythological type tale without being, you know, specifically Thor in the Marvel Universe. And I've seen the preview pages. It looks ridiculous. And we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time number two. I didn't even know this miniseries was coming out, so I missed the first issue. For the second issue, as they're traveling through time, they end up in feudal Japan. Guess who they run into? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then from Valiant, we have Archer and Armstrong, number 22. As I'm talking about it as well this week, with it being San Diego Comic-Con coming up, Image has an amazing sale going on in Comixology right now. It's running through Monday, and we have almost everything. I think it's all but the most recent issues of East of West, Lazarus, Nowhere Men, Pretty Deadly, Rat Queens, Saga, Manhattan Projects, Sex Criminals, and one I've actually never heard of, Zero. All of them for a buck. Well, each. You can also get the uh, digital collected editions ranging from 5 to $8 each. And if you want to, you can just drop down 75 bucks on the whole honking package, which I know $75 is a lot of money, but it's 92 issues worth of comics Jesus. and really good comics yeah. as well. So, like I said, not a lot out from Marvel this week. So if you're looking for something different, you have a very value-oriented place to look. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. 